1: Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Rooschak. I'm here with special guest, Jason Elzev. I'm going to just say Jason, the founder of (laughs) MRCA. I try to pronounce it. I'm not going to.
2: (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Thanks for having
1: me. You're very welcome. Now, what is MRCA?
2: So functionally, MRCA is a private equity firm. Um, but really what it is, it's a group of manufacturing companies. So we've, we buy legacy U.S. manufacturing companies with the goal and the, the focus of making sure that the companies stay in the local communities that they serve, but also growing them into a national portfolio. So we go and buy usually second, third generation uh, U.S. companies. Our investors get to participate with us as these companies turn profits. And then we, at uh, a year about five to seven, We'll take the entire portfolio, and we're actually going to transition it uh, to the to a full employee ownership. So the American factory worker will actually own the factory that they worked in, um, and and then their investors get uh, get their payout on the on the exit of that
1: also. Awesome! That is a novel thing that we need so much in America. We've seen this with the pandemic, with everything shutting down, and where our supply chains just stop.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it is a very timely uh, exercise that we're doing, but it's also something that's been a long time coming. The U.S. manufacturing has long been known as the, the pinnacle of the world. And it very quickly, uh, companies are starting to understand that moving more and more and more manufacturing on, uh, to be domesticated is, is very, very important and very, very uh, lucrative to, uh, in the modern market.
1: Correct. I have my own print shop or we're getting ready to open. So I'm not second generation, but we're in first generation. But we're seeing that the things that we make here is actually cheaper on our back end than it is on our anything.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a misnomer that I hear people repeat a lot that it's, it's too expensive to manufacture in the U.S., and frankly, that's simply not true anymore. Uh, if you look Foxconn, the number one Chinese contract manufacturer is building a plant in Wisconsin. So uh, if even foreign sources have bego- started to run the math and go, oh, wait, it's actually fiscally viable to produce in the US. And with the US being, frankly, the largest consumption country in the world, there are more and more products that need to get to people faster. So it just, it, 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 we're in a very unique turning point where we can take all of these legacy companies that have very strong, uh, very strong business uh, indicators and turn them into the modern manufacturing companies that they need to be to match where the markets are going.
1: That is wonderful. Now, what type of companies are you, I know you said manufacturing that has a plethora of companies under it. So what kind of companies are you mostly working with? So w-
2: with this fund, we are heavily um, working with companies that operate in the industrial space. I uh, think tractors, buses, fire trucks, um, whether they're painting them or building them or making the dashboards for them, they- there's a plethora of different items that go into kind of the industrial sector. Uh, we also have a pa- uh, packaging division and a uh, and a sheet metal products division that's doing uh, direct to consumer products.
1: Well, see, this is why I asked because there's, like I said, my family is all manufacturing. So I got the welding part from one family and I have plastics and another and everything else. But at the same time, you're going with the made-to-market basically, the automotive, the things that we consume every day.
2: Yeah, our portfolio is really balanced on the two sides. Um, You you hit on it that you're going to one place for the plastic, one for the metal, all that. That's a very old school mentality that's still stuck in the U.S. that one of the things that we're working on. Is a more complete supply chain for for our customers. Because if you think 40-50 years back, when a lot of our supply chains were frankly designed uh, within the US, products were simple. They only had they, they were all made of metal, or they were de- or they were all plastic. They weren't the complexities of okay, there's 15 metal parts in here plus uh, an injection molded part. And frankly frankly, what we've seen with with the OEMs and the customers that we serve. They just want a completed item. So if we can do that within our portfolio, and that's why we we go national and buy so many um, manufacturing companies is because
1: they heavily do feed each other. Right, we look at Mattel or Barbie. You go back to the eighties, Barbie was all plastic. Mm -hmm. Now you have the spring hinges and the whatnots and everything else that's in there. And there's like six different components to Barbie Mm -hmm.
2: now. Yeah, it's, I mean, the simplest products have gotten really complex to manufacture and this is a, a very large opportunity in the u.s to kind of shake up the manufacturing industry is by providing more of a complete solution to to customers um, and we've seen this for years in foreign uh, foreign production where they have started to pipe over that streamline the supply chain so the customer themselves doesn't feel all the movements that are going on
1: Right. Now with your supply chains that you're working with the manufacturing, are you doing direct to customer drop shipping, or direct to stores?
2: Um, a little bit of everything. So um, we do huge programs shipping into Walmart. We've do, uh, Walmart, Costco, um, BJs, pretty much every big box. We also have certain products that are pushed directly through Amazon online. And then we do a ton of products for other people that we are manufacturing an aspect for them or, developing out an aspect of their final product.
1: That is awesome. <laughs> you're doing a lot, but you're taking something that needs to be updated because our manufacturing has not been updated in 50 years, but we need to update and you're doing that now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the, the cool thing is, is there's a lot of really, really good, amazing, profitable American companies that mm-hmm. exist there. And oftentimes what, what the limiting factor is is the owner is ready to retire and they really haven't thought through what is my exit strategy that they, well, I hear it all the time. I just plan to die in the plant. Like, but then one day they sit there and go, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. So these companies are really well set up, but they just need somebody to come in with the energy to go, you know what, we're going to update them to the, this next phase of manufacturing. And uh, but if you look at like even like Tesla's plants right now, these are white floors, brightly lit. They're gorgeous. And getting regular manufacturing companies that are on on the smaller to mid-market side, getting them to get to that point of everything being really very well lit. Employee wellness being the the primary key. That is what will push this phase forward.
1: Exactly. We have to go back to the employees because employees run the plant. (laughs) That's just the way things are you have to have your employees healthy, you have to have them happy, but you also have to have everything under OSHA, correct? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and and the way I explain to a lot of people is if you go back 40 years, a mother and a father return to their child and go, go get a factory job, it's good, it'll take care of you, you'll you'll get a good living, all that. Well, mm -hmm. we kind of went awry for a little while there and forgot that it was that manufacturing realistically especially now with the new technology with new technologies it's a people game it's a it's all about the the laborers so because the machinery can do a ton of the the work now so what you need is you need good people that are treated very well to keep these plants running and we've got a goal to get it back to people turning to their children and going hey manufacturing is a really good way for you to get ahead and to do that, it's all about employee wellness, and you hit it perfectly. If you take care of the employees, the employees will take care of the company.
1: I mean, you go back to Ford. My grandfather, both of them, and my dad all retired from Ford. That was a really good job 50 years ago. Yeah. Now we have to get back to being the place you want to work, not a, I'm just here because I have to be.
2: C- correct. And that that is going to come from manufacturing ownership is Mm -hmm. truly understanding the way to succeed is to take care of these people and when and if you can really if people can get that into the 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 fabric of their organizations you're going to see it go back to people going hey go into manufacturing it's good for you it's it's going to be a good stable job it it is the, pretty much the only in, uh, industry that you can get to making six figures with zero education and no barrier to entry. And they, uh, most manufacturers prefer to train you on the job. So it's, the, the, it's really a tool to get people and, and get communities to just thrive again. But it, the ownership must make the commitment to make it about the people.
1: Right. We've seen how many over the years, how many factories have closed down and the communities surrounding that factory turn into Detroit?
2: <laughs> they turn into wastelands. And it goes, that's why one of our core principles is not to pull the businesses out of the local communities that they serve. Uh, there's, we've got a group right now that we're uh, trying to um, finish an acquisition on. They employ more people than the, than the population of the townland. They, they are one of the single most important things in that, that area so what happens unfortunately when large conglomerates normally come in is they'll buy seven or eight of these plants shut down all of them and build one giant one somewhere and, and it's just not appropriate um, in our eyes is hey you've got a really good company you just spent money buying a company why would you go rip it all to shreds just to centralize it and and frankly, That model is falling apart with all of the the increases in transportation throughout the U.S. Having regional locations that do multiple things is very, very helpful because you're closer to to your end customers.
1: Exactly. And we're seeing that more businesses are moving toward this because we're waking up and go, oh, wait, one plan for everything and then shipping it everywhere isn't economic like it was 30 years ago.
2: Totally. and and like everything else times change this is not using the playbook of 30 years ago doesn't work I mean just just the technological advances in manufacturing nowadays the robotics can do almost anything and I, I talk to people a lot and the big worry is well the robots are going to take people's jobs they're not but simply what's going on right now is we are consuming probably four to five times as many products a day that we were 50 years ago. Mm
0: -hmm. So that
2: means that the same number of workers need to get out four to five times as many products. So the only way to do that is to back them up with really strong tools and with new technologies so that saves their bodies. And we're not trading their actual physical bodies for, for production, now we're using what humans are best at, using their minds to go, hey, th- that looks right, this is running correctly, and really teaming the two up is incredibly important.
1: It really is, especially when you get into the technical, like, uh, plastics or metalwork or stuff like this, you have to have a machine do it to save the human body, because what happens, if you go back to 50 years ago, what was the life same thing? lifespan of a worker was what, 10 to 15 years? Well, now we're working until we're 80.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and it goes back to beyond just that single worker, Mm -hmm. it's important to the community they're in, because if somebody gets off from their shift and they are exhausted and cannot move and they're hurting, guess what? They're not going to go out to the local restaurant. They're not going to be active in their community they're not going to bring all the value that that person would normally bring outside of work if they get off and hey they might be a little mentally tired because you're at work that's what happens at work mm-hmm. but you still have it in you you're going to play with your kids you're going to go take them out to, to uh to a ball game you're just the that simple effect of not beating the daylights out of the employees has the ability to have that employee go into the community and completely make massive lasting change within it. So it it is incredibly important to us to acknowledge that while it is about taking care of our employees, it's really their effect on the the community around them. And that's where the decision to do an ESOP to the employees for the entire portfolio as our exit came in was that way we can guarantee even after we exit because we have because of how the fund works we can still guarantee the decision making for what's going to happen to that community is held in that community and that is incredibly important because now you're actually providing a legacy that will live in perpetuity that can only truly be affected by the employees within the within the organizations
1: exactly and when we need this so much right now because how many times as an employee do I go my voice is not ho- heard well now you're getting into a company where you are the voice
2: yeah and and, and I mean studies in and out have shown that ESOPs are the, the companies are always profit more profitable they have significantly less safety and danger uh, or an injury issues they put out a higher quality product because the people have ownership they know it's it's theirs that they're working for something, they're not just doing it for someone else. So we've, we've fallen in love with, with the concept and we love the fact that not that from an investment side, yes, there, there is good, strong, uh, we're, we're targeting very good, strong returns, but it doesn't have to be in opposition to the, to the people within the
1: organization. Exactly, that's why we see businesses doing the stock shares for their employees. It's not as big as an ESOP, but at the same time, we're trying to give ownership to an employee, even if it's just one share a year or whatever it is. It's something to reward them and say, hey, this is my company.
2: Yeah, and that's, that is incredibly important. Um, the, the word that we use is fulfilled, mm-hmm. is people must be fulfilled. And when, and they must be proud of what they're doing. This isn't necessarily just at work. This isn't necessarily, it's just in your entire life. You must find a version of fulfillment. So if you can set entire communities that start feeling like they have purpose, they have a direction, they're not just helplessly floating through the world, you, you have the ability in that moment to completely change what's going on in the world and really bring... Bring that strength back together, and, and, and that's what we're out tr- effectively doing.
1: And that's wonderful that you're effectively doing it because we need it right now. We yeah. need this globally, but right now we'll conscience concentrate on locally. Exactly, and I mean,
2: we we are very pro American manufacturing. I mean, it's in our it's in the name of our uh, company, but it isn't because we're we're, we're against anyone else. We just know our local communities and we want to do what we can to protect our local communities.
1: Exactly. Now, if a company wanted to come to you, say they're getting ready to retire, they're second, third generation, how do they get a hold of you or how do you find more companies to invest in?
2: So um, 2 twofold. We invite everyone to go to mrca.net. Um, there is actually a link on there. You can get a private meeting with me at any time, we are very open books, even if you're interested in doing something similar to what we're doing, or you're interested in investing or anything like that, we will we, we, we share the content. We do believe what we're doing is a roadmap that others can also, whether it be in manufacturing or any other world, and we want as many people out to go out and do it. And the amount of opportunity in front of us is is drastically large, um, but when we look at companies, my, uh, my brother heads up a lot of our, um, our finding and, and uh, bird-dogging the companies, and there will be weeks he goes through 100, 100 plus companies that we review. Um, it's, we, it is, we definitely look at a lot of companies, um, not a lot of, get past that first review, um, but as soon as we start to really get a feel, hey, we like this group or not, we the first thing we do is jump on the phone with the, with the current owner. Because you're going to find out a lot. How, do, how does that person speak about their people? How, how do they talk about their clients? How do they talk about their company? Um, what kind? Of, I, so we get to meet some of the most amazing people I've, I, I've ever seen because these are guys that a lot of them got back from war and started these companies, um, or they something happened and they they came from absolutely nothing, dirt floors, and built this. $50 million company. And to listen to the stories you get out of the, the sellers, is just unbelievable.
1: That's, I think that's one of the reasons why I love the show. I get to hear so many stories from people of why they got into their business.
2: Yeah, it's, I, I I'm, we're, we're actually going to kick off uh, for the portfolio. Every owner sitting down with them, For an hour and having them just document on video all the craziness all the ups the downs because these these are usually some of the most resilient people i've ever met in my life and that's why they have these great companies and frankly that's why a lot of them didn't have an exit plan because in their mind they were just going to keep on running it forever and then one day they're sitting there going you know i just don't know if i want to do this anymore (laughs) and i i think retirement does sound nice
1: exactly i mean you we have a couple of just generations there when they started these companies. They are so resilient. They started it during the Great Depression. They started it during Vietnam. They started at whatever time period that we're in. But to grow it into what it is, you have so many crazy stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, if you just
2: take trying to keep one of these companies going in the last 20 years,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so let's go to 22, uh, 24, uh, 25 years. You got the 2007 crash. Uh, you, well, you've got the 2000 bomb, the 2007, uh, the dot bomb crashes, ruins all the markets. You've got the 2007, 2008 crash. Then the the poor guys ended up uh, getting COVID in the last couple years. And these these wonderful owners have figured out how to make it work every single time. And and these are things that should have killed all of them off in business and having massive foreign um, uh, foreign competition and there's no reason you start talking to them and you're like oh but this is how you did it and this mm-hmm. is this is what the organization looks like I was talking to one person uh, they they had uh, this gentleman owns a wonderful wonderful company and he, we're like okay what so what uh, what's happened over the years he goes well we blew the building up twice. The other, we have another one that we're in talks with right now, and he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've been through. uh, This company's been through two tornadoes. One ripped the roof right off the building. (laughs) Like, how? Like, what do you do when that happens?" He goes, "You rebuild. (laughs) There's nothing. What else are you gonna do?" So we love to get those stories. So that is something we look at: is try to find owners that have these stories of resilience and 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 really show that just American in, ingenuity and, and grit to get to really just keep these companies live. So if we find a company who has that, we know it already has built-in resilience. You've got, a, the building is full of fighters, people that are willing to, to push the envelope and try new things.
1: That is a great motto. And I can't wait to get all these stories onto a video so I can listen to some of them go, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's,
2: there are a couple of them. You, you almost have to sit there and go, okay, you're, you're messing with me, right? And it's like, no, no, they all check out. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, that would make a wonderful, wonderful podcast just for these companies because A, it shows resilience. B, maybe it'll teach our younger generation something about getting out there and how to build something out of nothing. Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs>
2: We started. We started our first company. I was 15 and my brother was 20. And I remember we, we started in February of 2007. And here comes the 2008 crash. And right as we got off the ground, everybody's it's the worst time ever to start a business. This is you guys are gonna fail. It's gonna be horrible. Listen. And I remember us turning to each other at one point because all this noise gets in your head, and all these people who've never actually done it themselves, but they still will tell you why it can't be done. Um, and we start, my brother and I kind of realized at one point, like, we're so broke that we don't know the market's bad. What does it matter? Like, this is a great time to start. All the equipment is on fire sale, there's like there's turmoil everywhere. So, it was, we have always seen it as a blessing that we started then. But the amount of people that told us, oh, no, no, you guys are going to lose everything. That's going to, it's horrible. Our everything was $600 cash. Okay. (laughs) So, so it's, we, we love to just kind of put that back to people and go, Hey, the reason why we buy legacy companies is because we love, we love that ingenuity. We, Mm -hmm. we, we know that we want to hold them and keep them and strengthen them. Um, But that doesn't mean to go not to go start new stuff, go in. it's the the problem is really never as bad as you make it out to be in your head
1: usually it's really not i mean i started my company in 2020 (laughs) think about that
2: yeah that is a hard time
1: (laughs) (laughs) but you know it was a great time to open a company in 2020 it's a great time now to grow it but you know everyone again everyone would say you're gonna lose everything it's not gonna take off it's not you have to get out of your head. You have to go back to the ones that were before you that have been through the Great Depression or wars or whatever, and you find what they did to succeed.
2: Well, I I was um, I was on a hike with uh, the the founder of Atari four or five years ago, and I mean the the, the, the this guy's the mentor to Steve Jobs. I, mm-hmm. I, I've been fortunate enough to be at events with him a couple times. And I uh, I, 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 actually, I, I'm quite positive he doesn't even remember this conversation because to him, it wasn't incredibly important. Um, but we're talking, I remember at the time our company was on funds and I had a bunch of people giving me one, this this tip or that tip, all people who had never done it. I started talking to him and he mentioned something at one point. He goes, oh yeah, he goes, I would, uh, up until like the day I sold, uh, Atari, there were times I couldn't make payroll. And like, the money's there, but it's not there. And, and this, that. I'm like, whoa, 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 you're a God. The, this, he goes, yeah, all of us run into this. Welcome to business. And I'm, it was so eye opening Cause that was the truth of it was he, it, it, it isn't a straight path. No, it never is. And you get a lot of people that want to go out and tell everybody, Oh, it's it's a straight path. It's going to be good. And it's like, either that person's lying to you or they've never actually done it because exactly. it's it, it, yeah. it, 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 business is, it is a war constantly.
1: Constantly. Look at Tesla, look at Amazon, look at Walmart. They all started and had their struggles. How many times was uh, Elon Musk ready to file bankruptcy? How many times was Jeff Bezos ready to give up? We all go through it.
2: Yeah. And, and and it's just really, we get to talk to, frankly, owners that have done this and hear the stories, and it's just it's amazing. And and if and then we go back to if we can take that company that they've just put their heart and soul into, and maybe their dad put their his heart and soul in it before them, and that this is a generational tool, and you can empower the employees within that. You're going to make very good returns, but more more importantly, and very, very, very focused is if you can get that resilience out in the community, it Mm -hmm. starts fixing the communities too, because that is truly that strength that we need back as a, as a country is in that it it, it is through that fulfillment.
1: It is. We have to start teaching our younger generation, the resilience that made these companies what they
2: are. Correct. It's, I, I could not agree with that more.
1: But we are almost out of time. So one more time, where can our listeners and our viewers find you and your company?
2: Um, MRCA.net. And like I said, there's links on there. Um, if you're interested in investing, there's an investment link. There's a link to my direct Calendly. You can get time on uh, to discuss pretty much anything you want directly with me. Um, also, with, uh, with multiple of the other partners. So if, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to us.
1: Awesome. And thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: And for our our listeners and our viewers, happy growing.